All right, Lou. So the Nets are in the playoffs, the Rangers are in the playoffs, and the Yankees beat the Red Sox last night behind Masahiro Tanaka and Jacoby Ellsbury. Which team of those teams was on the back page of the Daily News last night? This morning, I should say. Wow. Which team was on the back page? I'm going to guess the Nets. Trick question. The Knicks, who should be playing golf right now. And welcome to this edition of the Yes Men. I am Lou DiPietro. To my left, as always, is Doug Williams. And apparently on the back page of the Daily News is the New York Knicks, who have a 4.37 tea time at Doral today. It's just so – it's so New York sports, it hurts. It's like, you know, the Knicks have this rumor right now that Phil Jackson has kind of been impeded by James Dolan for the – people think the first of many. Like, obviously, this was going to happen. James Dolan gets in the middle of everything, blah, blah, blah. It's a rumor it's from a uh, source that has remained nameless uh, from the Knicks. And meanwhile, the, you know, the Nets' loss is important. It's in Toronto. They're in the playoffs. Uh, they're the only New York team in the NBA in the playoffs. The Rangers beat Philadelphia in Philadelphia. The Yankees' victory seems to be clearly back-page worthy, considering Masahiro Tanaka and Jacoby Ellsbury won the game for them. Yeah, Tanaka was dominant, and Ellsbury had, what, four RBIs? In, in his return yeah. to Fenway Park. I mean, it's it, there was a lot of storylines. It's just, you know, I, the Knicks always will be the back page headline. And you know what? I think that a lot of times the Knicks get, like, praised for that for some reason. I'd be happy if I was the Nets. Yeah, I, I apologize for my lack of knowing exactly what happened yesterday because Matt Stucco and I were in Lakewood doing some stuff for Minor League Monthly with the Charleston River Dogs. So I kind of – I know what happened, but I don't know what happened. Well, it was kind of like an article this morning. Frank Isola came out and um, – Right, about the, the Dolan – source. Yeah, yeah, the Dolan-Jackson confrontation, which is – it's sort of a, I guess – come to fruition of something I learned in my very first journalism class. My professor told me, he's like, the kind of headlines in the news, if it bleeds, it leads. So I guess in the Knicks case, if it's a dumpster fire, it goes higher. I mean, it, well, three the, teams in the playoffs, and, and this is this is the back page headline. It's ridiculous. It just bothers me, you know, because there are bigger stories, and it is, the, what, it is what it is. I'm not blaming Frank Isola. I'm not blaming the Daily News because research goes into all of these things. There's mm-hmm. a reason papers right. write what they do. There's a reason what they put on the cover. There's reasons with you know what ESPN Sports Center leads with. There's reasons for everything. But I do think that the Nets should be getting more attention because that's the team, I think, that has a chance to really make some uh, do some damage in the Eastern Conference. So I'd like to see them on the back page. Yeah, they really do, and they're the one basketball team in the area that's playing right now, which, which really should dominate the headlines anyway. Um, you know, you say that they have the chance to make some damage. The thing with that is they need to do it. Because there's something I was thinking of last week, and I apologize, by the way, for my voice today. If it sounds a little off, allergies are taking their effect on me. Um, <clears throat> there's something I was thinking about you know, earlier in the week uh, and, and over the weekend while I was watching game one of the playoffs for the Nets. If they lose this series, granted you can say it's the division champion 3-6, they're on the road, whereas last year they were, you know, the – it was two wild cards, so to speak, with them and the Bulls, eight game seven home. Is this season even more of a disappointment, just as much of a disappointment or less of a disappointment if they lose this series than last year? It's, it's, it's funny. It's a good question because they had high expectations at the very beginning of the season when they hadn't played a game yet. Right. Then they had a terrible start. So now people are kind of looking at the net season as, 
Well, they've you know it's been a successful season. Jason Kidd almost won Coach of the Year. It had yep. a positive end to the season, but in reality, the expectations were so high at the beginning of the year. People thought maybe that's the best team in the Eastern Conference. It was never even close to that. If they lose in the first round to the Raptors, that sounds bad. Now, the Raptors are a formidable opponent, a very good team. And their record since January 1st was pretty much exactly the same as the Nets. The difference is they didn't get off to as bad of a start as Brooklyn. Right. So it is a good question, Lou, because, you know, the NBA, though, failure is really it's, – it's so easy to attain in the NBA. Because if yes. you think about it. All we're hearing right now, because the Knicks are trying to choose a coach, so people are speculating who that'll be. Right. And people are saying Mark Jackson is already – it's already predetermined that he will be fired if, if uh, Golden State doesn't make it past the first round. And they don't have Andrew Bogut. But somehow, we already know that he'll be fired. Failure. You know, like – He's set up to fail. It's a self-fulfilling right. prophecy if he does. And, and, you know, Kevin McHale has been rumored to be fired with Minnesota. They, you know, did <laughs> the best they could with what they had. You know, it's just – it's so easy to fail in the NBA if you don't – like, and it's almost like they want to get rid of that guy. So they just say – they say something impossible like, hey, if you don't win the NBA championship, you're out of yeah. here. Or is he going to do one of those things where he brings in one of his guys? So, you know, B.J. Armstrong or Will Purdue is the uh, the next coach of the Knicks, you know, because it's a yeah. Phil Jackson guy. It's – you know, I will say the Knicks coach storyline is, you know, it's kind of interesting just because – you have no idea who it's going to be. And because you know the history of coaching with the Knicks is, is, is two years or one year and you're done. So back to the Nets, though. Jason Kidd has had a very tumultuous season. At the beginning of the year, he looked totally overmatched. He definitely made up for that. Is his coach coaching season a failure if they lose in the first round? I think the hot end of the season, end of the regular season, will help it not be looked at that way. Yeah, I, I mean, the Nets were sort of in the same boat last year where they started off hot. Avery Johnson won Coach of the Month for October. Yeah, that's as far as you need to look. Yeah, for October, November. And then he gets fired by the end of December because they're a 500 team and PJ takes over and they go to the first round of the playoffs and this and that. And if they lose to the Raptors in the first round, they've pretty much done the same thing this year as they did last year. So then you start to wonder, is this team built for anything more than that? Like, it's a doubt that naturally creeps in your mind. It's a lot of the same guys. Um... You know, it would be something like, okay, this is the way it's built if it were a lot of the same guys. But they brought in all these guys in the offseason, turned over half the roster, and it's the same result. So it's like you, you, you start to wonder, like, is this their ceiling? And first of all, we should say that they haven't lost yet. In fact, they're tied. So it's a very, there's a very good right. chance that now that they're back in Brooklyn, they go on a run and they beat Toronto. Right. But it is interesting, Lou, if you think about it with – P.J. Carlissimo getting fired at the end of last year. That was almost one of those things where you knew he wasn't going to be the coach, but he was put in place because he knew the system. But if he got fired, you know, Jason Kidd won't get fired. That's pretty, you know, they've invested in him. He's young. He's got potential. It is shown this year that he's a very good coach. But it just goes to show you, you really can, you know, make a, make an argument for any coach in the NBA on a team that doesn't win the championship to get fired. But, yeah, I was going to say, what happens in three years when Kevin Garnett's retired, Paul Pierce is retired, some of these other guys are, you know, towards the end of their contracts, the Lopez's and the Darren Williams, and he's coaching a team that Avery Johnson coached in New Jersey that wins 25 games. What happens then? Do you say he's a good coach with a bad team? Do you say he's a bad coach that was lucky enough to coach a team of veterans like what does his legacy end up as and it starts 
as much as I hate to keep harping on it, it starts now. They need to win this series to prove that everything they have done in the last 365 days is not in vain. Yeah, it's If huge. they don't, it was. And you know what's interesting in both, both New York uh, basketball teams' cases? The Eastern Conference looks nothing like it, it we thought it would even three weeks ago. Right. Because the Indiana Pacers, who reportedly had a fist fight <laughs> in practice the other day, have totally imploded. Now, granted, they won last night, but... Did Evan Turner think that Tankadelphia carried over to Indiana, too? Apparently, you know what they did in Indiana, which is just a big-time no-no, is it wasn't broke, and they tried to fix it. Yep. You know, uh, Andrew Bynum and Evan Turner, neither of them needed to go to Indiana. They had Danny Granger. They have trees already. They have Roy Hibbert and yep. Mahimi. And Bynum with his knee injury really hasn't been a factor anyway, so at least right, that was one of those things that didn't really play I too much. I think in this case it's been a team chemistry problem, and I think the guys that were on that team already were like, come on, we had this made and you messed with yep. it. So if you think about it, <laughs> the Knicks would have been the eighth seed, and then Atlanta goes in and beats Indiana in the first game, and Knicks yep. fans are saying, are saying, wow, wish we were in it. Nets fans now, I think, have to look at the playoffs and say, we crushed Miami during the regular season. We want to play them. If we beat them, who are we going to play in the conference finals? Right. That's that's one of the points I was going to make, too, is that the Nets, with the way they ended the season, realistically drew the best possible path they could draw in terms of what they want. All the games they've played this season with the Raptors have been good games, but they... I'm probably more confident that they could beat the Raptors than they are of beating the Bulls team that beat them last year. And that's basically a lot of the same Bulls team, too. So they're, they're probably more confident there. They beat the Heat four times out of four games this season. So even though you have to look at one of those and say, okay, it was game two, complete different team, one of them was game, what, 70? I, I, you know, late in the season. And one of them was game 78, 79, even later in the season. They have the confidence that they can go in there, even if Miami turns it up a notch. They have the confidence to hang with them. And then what do you get in the conference finals? Do you get a, a Cinderella 8 seed in the Hawks? Do you get an Indiana team that might be beat up, both from their first two-round opponents and each other at that point? Do you get you know one of the teams? Washington? Yeah, do you get the, the Bulls or the Wizards? Who The Wizards have no business being up 2 nothing on the Bulls, if you ask anyone who thinks they know about basketball. And right. yet here they are. Up to nothing on the Bulls. Well, it's it, let's pretend we didn't start this conversation by talking about the Nets. I don't know who I would pick right now to win out of the Eastern Conference because Miami. I would honestly you, pick you'd Miami. Probably pick Miami. But if the Brooklyn Nets beat the Toronto Raptors, there's a lot there to tell you that the Brooklyn Nets could very well beat Miami. Yep. And if you look at the other side of the bracket per se. You really have no idea if Indiana is going to put it together. If they do, look out because they're they're still the number one seed. They have home field advantage. They just home court. Sorry, they just have to put it together in order to take advantage of that. Right. I just don't know. I don't know. I it it's really the Western Conference. By the way, is totally different. The Western Conference, the eight seed can beat the one because everybody's so close. Yeah, because the eight seed is what the three Memphis. seed in the East. Yeah. Yeah. Well, isn't it Dallas? Is Dallas the eight seed? Memphis? Yes, seven? yes, that's true. Memphis Either way, they, they still would both be the three in the East. Right. So, yeah. But it, it's so funny in the <clears> in the Eastern Conference, the uh, Indiana Pacers uh, lost to the the Hawks, and everyone was saying, "Wow, the Pacers have some issues." Oklahoma City, the number two seed, loses to the seven, and it's like, "Wow, the Grizzlies are the Grizzlies nasty. Are as, aren't as bad as you that's think." That's a yeah. tough team. You know, they can play <clears> down low. They're gritty. 
It, it, and, and you can't blame people for saying that because one of the teams is much better than the other. No, because that's a numerical seeding based just on position in terms of, of relevance. So the Memphis Grizzlies may be the seventh best team in the West, but they're the ninth best team in the NBA. So, you know, it's, again, like I said, it's it's positional reference, whereas the Pacers might be the second or third best team in the NBA and the Hawks are 16. Not even, because there's teams that didn't make the Western Conference playoffs that have better records than the Hawks, so they're probably 20-ish. The Hawks went into, into the playoffs like dogs go to the vet. Yeah. It was like you had to just grab the leash and just pull the dog into the vet. You didn't want to do it, but like they got to go in there. Close the nobody... door on the carrier and put a blanket yeah. over the front so they it, think it's it, nighttime. The Hawks did not want to end up competing this year. No. I mean, they won't say that, but they wanted some sort of draft pick that was higher up. They wanted a lottery pick if they could get it, yep. but there was no one else to take that eight seed from them. So, you know what? The NBA right now is very interesting. Um, I haven't watched all of that much of the playoffs. The Nets are the team this team that I've paid the most right, attention to. Right, I've watched to. both Nets games. Um, yeah. You know, the one question I was going to bring about about the Pacers, too, is that they won game two last. Uh, Evan Turner played 11 minutes. Didn't really do much. After what you've heard about what happened over the weekend with him and Steven, do you just bench him at this point? And just say, you know what, we made a mistake, forget it, you're buried. Well, I think half the problem is probably his play on the floor itself. But I think the Pacers team as a whole is just angry that he's there. Well, I mean, he's, I could be he totally was an wrong. Ill, but. He was an ill fit based on his skill set and what he's done in Philly. He was an ill fit. As much of a great player as he is, he was an ill fit for that team, and it's now showing. Right. I, I mean, if there are guys on that team that hate him and Frank Vogel benches him, maybe they'll be happy about that. But at the same time, I would hope that at some point they had a team meeting and said, doesn't matter what you think of Evan Turner, guys. Play yeah. with him. Win We're a here championship, to win a title. and then he's gone. He's gone. Yeah, and and that would be the mature way to look at things. And it's so interesting too because I feel like Roy Hibbert is such a steady guy, and is a guy who in that locker room would say, "Listen, we got to pull it together." I, I'm not sure if Paul George is that guy. David West has has played in the NBA a long yeah, time. He's that mellow veteran presence yeah, that you so would expect. It's it's not what I thought was going to happen with this team. I mean, Lance Stevenson, we know what kind of personality he has. He he's kind of a a bottle rocket, but I don't know. It, it's 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 going to be interesting. I, I couldn't I couldn't really tell you who I honestly think a hundred percent sure will come out of the East because it's kind of a dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah, and one all, one upset is all it's going to take for some the world to just turn on its end. Now Miami could. Yeah. Win every game until yep. the finals and, and make us all look stupid. Right. And we'll sit here in three weeks from now and go, wow, we were dumb. But you never know what's going to happen. Hockey. Um, hockey's been a little bit more normal. Is normal the right word? Uh, uneventful, maybe. I mean, all of the series are going, you know, sort of as expected, I suppose, except for one or two. Yeah. Um, I thought San the Jose LA... is destroying yeah. the Kings, which you thought, thought that, that would might be a little closer. closer. Every game's been what a four goal game. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's well. Last night was an overtime goal by Patrick Marlowe. <laughs> yep, I really thought L.A. was going to take that. The NHL playoffs combined with the NBA playoffs, I've been getting about five hours of sleep a night. Yeah, yeah, it's that's it's a pretty rough time of year for uh, for the Sandman, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, it, it's it is not it is not a good time to have a ton of plans at yep. night. Usually, you end up canceling them or calling in sick. <laughs> um, the the Philly Rangers games have been absolute battles. Yeah, um, 
And so, I always, so has Pittsburgh and Columbus, though. So it's not like one team is going to be necessarily worse for wear in the next round. That was heartbreaking. Columbus had that you know two goal lead at home. They hadn't had playoff hockey in like ten years. Yeah. And you know there were Pittsburgh probably six or seven thousand people in the Value City Arena. <laughs> yeah. No, come on, that's a normal sized. Oh, arena. I'm sorry. I was thinking about the Rays playoff games. My bad. Sorry. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. See what I did there. Um, <clears throat> I don't know the Blues. I, I they were my pick. We did our picks for the Stanley yep. Cup playoffs a few weeks ago. I picked the Blues to make it in the West. I don't know if they have enough firepower to do it. They got to get past the Blackhawks. That series has been incredible. The first three games of that series, especially both games in St. Louis, if you don't like hockey, I mean, I get that. But for the most part, I only get it if you don't watch it. Like, if you watch hockey a lot and you don't like it, that doesn't make sense. Right. I think it shows – we talked about home ice advantage, you know, a little bit, and we've talked about home court and home field and how important it is. I think the Western Conference playoffs in the NHL are showing you, at least in hockey this year, how important that is. Because the only team that, you know, all four teams were up 2 nothing. All four teams that are leading were up 2 nothing. The only team that didn't lose game three was San Jose, and they won in overtime. So that's three teams that were down 2 nothing that defended home ice and one that was in overtime trying to defend it. Yep. So that at least shows you kind of, you know... How important to the, to that group, at least, the home ice advantage is in theory. Not so much in the East because we know the Rangers won in Philly. Philly's won in New York. You know, various things are going on. The Penguins came back to win in Columbus. Columbus had beaten them in Pittsburgh. So it's a little different on that side of the ledger. But in, in theory, at least, the Western Conference playoffs are showing you that home ice advantage could end up determining who wins that entire bracket. Yeah, it's funny because you can just dictate the game. When you're at home, you have more confidence mm-hmm. to do what you want. You feel right. like the officiating will favor you, and you just you start the game by playing your game. That's what the that's what right. Philly tried to do last night. They tried to demolish the Rangers, as they have pretty much all series. But when they're in Philly, they want to rile up the crowd. They want the big hits, and the Rangers didn't allow it. They scored two goals early, and and Philly was playing catch up for the rest of the night. And they withstood their flurry at the end of the at the end of the first period and in the second. Right, they it withstood was, the flurry, and it was just Henrik sticking out the pads, yeah. and <clears throat> and that was a pretty nerve wracking time. The kind of game that Lundqvist is is more than capable of, and the kind of game you need in yeah. a series like that. I'm ready for Henrik to win a cup. That's just me, though. That's just me. Well, yeah, I'm ready to watch a parade. I mean, I don't know <laughs> about you, but. You know, it's it's uh, it's still two and a half rounds away, so we'll see what happens. But right now, you have to feel pretty confident. And then Carcillo, of all guys, you that know, was great. The, that was great. He, he, he gets he his go- Disney moment. He goes right up against the glass. Philly's uh, Philly fan gives him the finger. That wasn't a Disney moment, but yes, no, yeah. yeah. And he and he says it right back to him. He says what verbally the finger means right back to the fan giving him the finger. So. Uh, you guys can do the math, figure that one out. It's like in Coming to America when Eddie Murphy steps out on the balcony, if you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yep, yeah, yep. exactly. Um, I was doing picture-in-picture picture last night, Lou, because the Rangers uh, weren't the only New York team playing. Right. There was also uh, you know, the Yankee game. And the Yankees look right now I, – I, I'm not going to – I don't mean to toot my own horn, but they look exactly like I thought they would. Good? Yes. Very good? Yes. yes. Their lineup – if you were to ask John Lester about their lineup last night, he would say, I don't know who is the guy you relax against. There's nobody. Right. And when they're hitting, you don't miss Cano. And even when they're not hitting, they're they're very threatening, one through nine. And, you know, Cano was their three-hitter for years, but Beltron has taken that spot. Mm-hmm. Ellsbury has been incredible. And, and you had him hitting ninth when you picked the lineup out of the hat. 
Yeah, that wasn't well, your fault. No. You know what? That was not my fault. <laughs> no. Hey, I was filming it. I wasn't even picking out of the hat. No. Um, <clears throat> so they look, they are who we thought they were. Crown their ass. But here's the thing. They, uh, Chris Sheeran said this earlier on the Chris Sheeran show. You're walking on such thin ice with them all the yeah. time because when they, you know, when Jeter runs hard to first, you hold your breath. Teixeira caught a ball at first base yesterday where the runner hit his arm, his and wrist, and you hold your breath. They're going to need to stay healthy if they want to stay com- competitive. And obviously we lost Ivan Nova, but I don't think that's as big of a loss as other people are, are, are saying it is. No, and you forgot yesterday that Jacoby Ellsbury hit a ball that could have been a homer, could have been a fan interference double. They kind of just split the middle and gave him a triple because they didn't really know what to do. <laughs> so I'm yeah. sure Joe Girardi's even more uh, happy with the instant replay situation in baseball these days. Um, the thing about Nova is this, and, and I hate to say this because Nova has shown at times that he gets it and can be dominant. I don't think anybody outside of the organization trusted Ivan Nova to be anything more than a 500 pitcher with a 5 ERA simply because he has games, and I'm going to say this with a caveat because maybe his arm was hurt, but he has games like he had early in the season, the second start, where he went three and a third innings or four innings and was awful. And he does that so often that it's like, oh, is he going to be good Ivan or bad Ivan? And you don't really know. So when you project it out, you're like, well, he's probably going to be like 14 and 10 with a five ERA because he's going to have a handful of those clunkers, and he might even, you know, he might have a one or two hit complete game shutout in there somewhere too. But I don't think anybody fully trusted him to be a good pitcher with bad games as opposed to a Jekyll and Hyde pitcher. Right now, who fills that fifth spot in the rotation? Are they going to be better? Are they going to be worse? Who knows? Right now, it's Vidal Nuno who realistically needs to prove he can get through a lineup more than twice because I don't think he's done it. Right, and but. I think that that's a question. I, I agree with what you said about Nova, and you know who he reminds me of as his career continues? A little bit of Phil Hughes. Yeah, without Most, the home run ball. Right. That was Phil Hughes' Without problem. the home run ball, he reminds me a little bit of Phil Hughes. First came up, a lot of potential. Um, and Came out look, of nowhere. You look, right, and you look for consistency, right? You look for guys that when they give you a, a, a decent start, you don't expect the next one not to be decent and then yep. the next one to be great and then yep. the next one not to be decent because that really hurts you. You want to go into a game knowing that the starting pitcher is at least going to give you a chance. And with Nova, you were never sure about right. that. CC Sabathia, even when he gives up six runs, gives you seven, eight innings. Right, because he, he settles down and he's like, all right, enough with this. I'm, I'm he settles down. down. That's the yeah. right way to put it. Ivan Nova really has struggled with that. Yeah. And as good of a guy he is, you never want to see a Yankee or any mm-hmm. player, for that matter, get right. Tommy John surgery. But... Fidel Nuno has looked really good everywhere he's been. Yep. He's a Minus that one outing where he was just taking yeah, one for the, the team. Yeah, he can't of the, count that. Out of control anyway. Yeah. He works fast. I, I Somebody said this on Twitter. And he's a like, crafty lefty, which right. gets the job done in baseball. He throws like he's throwing 95. He just puts it right in there. Yep. And it might be 88, but you know what? He's he's faking it until he makes it. And I guess. it's better. I'd rather have a, an 88-mile-an-hour fastball from the left side than the right side, too. Right. And, you know, the thing with Nova, too, is his career path is very bizarre. You, you said he, he meant, you know, reminds you a little bit of Hughes. He, when he came up, he was, like, coming up to replace an injured pitcher, and he wasn't really a prospect, per se, as much as he was, like, a guy at AAA that had come up through the system. Sort of like, for those of you who follow the minor leagues out there, sort of like somebody like maybe like a Nick Turley or a Caleb Cottom. Like, he's there in the system. Wasn't really a highly touted prospect in any way, but he was there, and he was doing okay in AAA, and they brought him up. And he did really well. 
And then there was the season where he was doing really well as a fill-in starter again, and he got sent to the minors simply because he was the guy with options. Like, didn't deserve it in the slightest, but he was the easiest one to get rid of, so he's the one that they got rid of. And then last year happened, and he was just up and down and up and down, and now this year it's like he's going to be out the rest of the year if he has Tommy John surgery. He's probably going to be out into the middle of next year if he has Tommy John surgery. That gives him a year and a half of healthiness before he's a free agent because he's in his arbitration years already. You almost kind of wonder if we've now seen the last of him as a Yankee. He's 27 years old. He's going to be in, in you know, 28, 29 coming off Tommy John surgery some point next year. Maybe he's a back-end guy. Maybe they do what the Braves did with Chris Medlin with him, you know, just kind of put him in the bullpen, let him build up strength. Have we seen the last of him is the question. Well, here's the thing. Yankee fans, count your blessings because there was a period of time in the offseason where we thought the five starter is you're going to need to put together the four and five because you're not sure what Pineda can give you, and it's going to either need to be Phelps or Nuno or something like that. When they got Tanaka, that made the only decision left was the five starter. Right. Now that they have Tanaka and Pineda, it looks like Pineda is going to be great. Count your blessings that those guys are in the rotation because otherwise you'd be looking for depth. Right Right. now – the Yankees have depth, and they have all year. The thing is, David Phelps is too valuable in the bullpen. Same thing with Adam Moore. Right. And now there's two things you have to look at going forward with this. Number one is, do you now shift Pineda to your number three starter? They have the off days where they can creatively maneuver rotation spots, I think, to maybe move Pineda from behind Tanaka to in front of him because you don't want to put them together. And I don't think you necessarily want to go with a fill-in-the-blank as your number three, per se. Which is what it is right now. Which is what it is right now because that's where Nova was. So you almost wonder if they need to kind of creatively maneuver that. The second question now becomes, what happens in August and September? No matter what Nova was, you could say you could count on him for 30 starts if, unless you know he got hurt, which is what happened. Now you've got a guy in Sabathia who will give you 200 innings no matter what. You've got a guy in Kuroda who's going to give you 200 innings. Like That's fine. You don't worry about that. Come August or September, how's Tanaka going to be feeling after pitching every fifth day for five months? Is he going to be ineffective? Is he going to be held back? Is anything going to happen? Pineda doesn't have an innings limit per se, but again, what's going to happen when he gets up to 150, 160, 170 and he, you know, how's he going to look? You can hope for the best. You can prepare for the worst. That's really how you have to do do things. I think you have to look, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Now you add in, is it Nuno? Is it somebody else is it like what do you do the pitching market in terms of who's going to be available from non-contenders with pending free agents come you know july 31st not the deepest market depending on how a couple of teams uh, it do it could potentially be deep it could depending on how a couple teams do is going to depend right. a lot i mean if the phillies are out of it then they, i think they got like three guys including burnett who they might just sell off but if they're in it you know you're you're not going to have kyle kendrick or roberto hernandez fausto carmona available you know, again, same thing with Pittsburgh. If Pittsburgh is falling out and out and out of the race, Wandy Rodriguez is a free agent, and I think Edison Volquez is on a one-year deal too, so they could be available, but they're not going to be if the Pirates are good. Point being, do you have to look at, if you're Brian Cashman now, and say, okay, Nuno's our guy right now, but do we need to stretch out Phelps? Do we need to see what happens if Shane Green does well in AAA, or if Brian Mitchell does well in AA, or if Nick Turley comes back from the arm troubles he's had all season and he pitches well? Or do we maybe need to look and see, okay, Bruce Billings is dominating AAA. Do we bring him up and give him a shot? He's always said his job is to look for something better than what they have. So now I think he, 
he's going to have to do that for the next three months, almost on a weekly basis, based on how Nuno and, by extension, Tanaka Pineda continue to do. Right. I think if you look at the Chicago Cubs, that's an example of a team that will be selling uh, pitching. Um, Samarja, maybe Jason Hamill, yep. uh, who just pitched well against the Yankees. Yep. He's um, that guy that's veteran be on a one year deal. He could be a definite guy to come to the Yankees uh, yep. in July. Um, there yep. are guys out there like that, and it's possible that they'll go after one. I <laughs> think they will end up going after one because think about all the question marks you just mentioned. In August and September, they might not even need just one slot. They might need they two. They might or three. need two. No. So it makes it a lot easier if you're able to say, we need this guy, yeah. and we'll have the you know Nunos and the Warrens and the Phelps to think about for a five. So you go with the occasional six man rotation to give Tanaka the extra day at the end. You right. know, throw in a throw Gives in a guy. Gives you options, yeah. surely. Um, and Justin Masterson as well. Um, you never know if if Cleveland's going to be in it. They're a tough team to count out because they have Terry Francona. They have a few good pieces, but. Justin Masterson is another guy that could be right. on the market. Kevin Correa from Minnesota, too. I mean, he's not pitching well to begin the year, but he's a veteran on a one-year deal on a team that you figure is not going to be a contender come July 31st. Just another name out there. The, the stat I was going to throw at you, because, you know, I'm the stat guy, which is one of the things that you talk about with rotations, right? Everyone thought the Braves were going to be kind of screwed when all these guys get hurt. Uh, through their first 20 games, four of their starters have an ERA of 1.8 or less. Their bullpen is awful, which is probably why they're not twenty and zero. But uh, who had that? You know, who had that in the pool? And their fifth starter, who's the worst of the bunch, has an ERA under three. So yeah, I, I, I mean, know you that never know. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. I have Irvin Santana on my fantasy team. Yeah. That's why the Yellow King, which is my name, but mm-hmm. you won't know what that comes from because you don't watch the best show on television. But I do watch Parks and Recreation. What are you talking about? No, I like that show, but it's not the best show on television. And you could say True Detective is not even on television because it's over, but... It's still there. Yeah. Um, Urban Santana's been amazing. He looks like the ace, yep. uh, uh, and it's, it is true. Alex, they, I mean, Alex Wood looks great, and so does the, you know, Chris Julio Chris Medlin's Teron. out. Mike Miner's out. Beachy's out. Beach, wow. So and they've built such a good young rotation. Here's too. the other thing you wonder, too, is that, like, they've built this good young rotation. They've got guys that are out and guys that are coming back. So you look at a guy like Gavin Floyd. Who they signed to, you know, to a deal. He's in the minors, rehab, and come back from Tommy John. If he's a spare part on July 31st, and the Braves can coerce a decent enough prospect out of the Yankees or any team, just do you just get rid of him? Oh yeah, he'll be gone. I mean, like, there's another guy that could become available in that derby. You know, just hey, whatever. Here he is. We don't really need him. You know, the Dodgers are going to have like nine starting pitchers at some point too, once everybody's healthy and, and ready to go. Do you just, you know, does Paul Mahalam somehow all of a sudden become available on July He's been, 31st? I feel like Paul you know? Mahalam's been available for 10 straight years. <laughs> well, he has. But, um, you know, they're, they're, again, based on how teams do and how some players do, there's other guys like that that could be available come July. Yep. So it's going to be interesting to watch. One thing we I, I do want to mention is, um, obviously, Albert Pujols hit his 499th and 500th home runs on Tuesday night, which makes him the 26th member of the 500 home run club. Did some stuff uh, for the site later this week on the 500 Home Run Club, and it, it made me wonder if – do we have to look at him now as maybe the guy that's going to break the record? No. Really? I don't no, think so. No shot whatsoever? Not even close? It depends entirely on this season. <clears throat> and his health, obviously. But Right, and, and I've said this before. I mean, Albert Pujols is not as old as you think you are. If you're listening to this, guess, and I'm guessing you won't get it right unless you're – you know, you know. He's 34. Yeah. So he's 
if you think about it, he's in the American League, so he can DH. Yep. There's a chance. Yeah. I'll say that. He, because he came up at 21 and started dominating right away when most guys don't hit their prime until four, five, six years later than that. Here's the thing with Poole. He's at 500 home runs right now. Last year was the only season, and it was because he was hurt, the only season in his career he did not hit 30 home runs. He signed through 2021, and like you said, he can, he can be a full-time DH anytime between the rest of his career and the end of the contract. If he hits 30 home runs a year, it'd be 22 more this year, which he leads the league with eight, by the way. It's April. Just saying. Uh, he'd be at 522 at the end of the season, and an average of 30 per year puts him at 732 at the end of that contract. 762 is, or 764 is the record. So if he does slightly better than his worst season ever on average for the rest of his career, he's right there. You know some small market American League team will sign him to a one-year deal if he's eight home runs away and he's still hitting 25 a year and say, hey, come break the record in our park. Yeah, I'd love to see it happen, as I think anybody would. Um, And you know what else I'd love to stop hearing is people using him as the example of bad contracts. If he ends up chasing the home run crown, it will be the smartest contract contract ever signed because people don't realize how beneficial that is. For teams, when the Yankees first signed Alex Rodriguez, mm-hmm. that was a big reason why they signed him for that deal because they thought at some point mm-hmm. he'll be competing for the home run crown, will be selling out every night, etc. Albert Pujols, if that ends up happening, Anaheim will be packed every night. A Rod is the perfect prime example of the other way, though, because you couldn't expect the injuries, the suspensions, all the all the chaos. So, I mean, you know, best laid plans of mice and men in that case. But yeah, I mean. Looking at the the guys that are on the list, I think the only guy that's even 30 or under that's halfway there or a third of the way there is, is Prince Fielder. So there's nobody, like, even on the precipice. Maybe Mike Trout. I mean, he's only two Miguel years Cabrera. in his career. Miguel Cabrera has 367 home runs. So he's roughly halfway there, and he's 31. He's probably about the other best shot at it, I would think, if there's anyone that could do it. Everyone else that's in the top 10 of the active, besides A-Rod, who's sort of active, I guess, and Pujols is either over 35 or so far away that they're just, you know, m- you know, maybe Carlos Beltran or Alfonso Soriano at one point could have, but Soriano's 38. He's not going to play for another 15 years. That's what he'd need to get 350 more homers. I'm wondering if you felt like this last night. Two things about Pujols <laughs> breaking 500. First, it felt like he should be celebrating with the Cardinals. Still feels like that's where he belongs. I, yeah. I just don't. Anaheim has it just hasn't been a happy place for him. Uh, maybe it will turn out to be that way. Last year was kind of a nightmare for him. That's just the way it felt like for me. Um, you can give a tribute to the guy all you want if you're an Anaheim fan or a teammate, but it just felt like his Cardinals teammates should have come out. You know, Mike Matheny. You're waiting been there. for Yadier Molina Jim to come out. Yeah, been there. guys that he spent his, the the girth of his career, second use of girth today. David Freeze. Um, yeah, exactly. Those guys well, should have been he, there. He. Was there. <laughs> See, yeah, that's true. Good call. Good call. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say, how impressive is it that he hit 499 and 500 in the same game? Never we've been seen done. Guys, we've seen guys reach 499, 599, whatever it ends up being, and go on streaks where they can't hit it. 
And, you know, we saw it with Jeter's 3,000th hit. We saw yep. it with A-Rod's 500th home run. And Jeter got 29.99, 3,000, and 1, 2, and 3 yep. in the same game. So it's I, really hard to do that because the next time you get up, you think, oh, I just want to get it over with. I yep. want to swing for the fences. That just shows that guy's locked Roger in. Clemens, 300th win, took, what, six tries? Took forever. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it, when you're at the precipice of a milestone, especially when you do it in the middle of a game, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking, well, damn, I just hit one, so why can't I do it again? And he did, and he's the first guy to ever do that out of the 26 guys that have 500 home runs. I wish the Angels were a more complete team, or I would say watch out because they have Albert Pujols at his best and Mike and Trout. And Mike Trout. Here's, here's the thing with Pujols. You mentioned about the Cardinals. He's going to end up to me, I think, a, l- a little bit more high-profile version of Greg Maddox because Pujols will be a Hall of Famer eventually. I-, I don't think I'm too far out on a limb when I say that. Whichever hat he wears is up to him if he wants to be a Cardinal or an Angel. He may end up having most of his success both in terms of individual and you know team as a Cardinal, but you identify him as an Angel by the end of that contract in 2021 – what do you do? Well, what does he do? You know, like same with Greg Maddox. He was pretty good for the Cubs, and then he went to the Braves and got all of his success there, and then he went back to the Cubs and he pitched for a couple other teams, you know, the Dodgers and the Padres in between, like sort of a, a mercenary mission. <clears throat> Pools is going to be a higher profile that. It's like he did all this with one team, but you identify him with this one, but, you know, it, that's it's one of the reasons why it's kind of weird that you have to pick – well, you don't have to pick a hat for the Hall of Fame, but it's, it's one of those things that makes a great debate. Yeah, that's true. a cardinal or an angel by the time he's done. I think it it depends. Again, like the home run record, it depends a lot on this year. If he has a huge year, but they don't make the playoffs, which that sounds like what's going to happen, then you never know. Like, will individual accomplishments end up making him happy in Anaheim? Or could be the MVP like A-Rod was in 2003. Will he require more around him? Does winning make him happy? Because he left St. Louis. So if winning, uh, it's not a good call to leave St. Louis if you're a big fan of winning, winning, I guess maybe it's one of those things. Well, we we've won, so let me see how the other half lives. I mean, I, what else can you really say? And it's hard because the Angels. You look at their ace, Jared Weaver. He topped out at 86 miles an hour the other night. The slop baller, as, as really, one of our coworkers called him. That's really not good. No, you know it's and they play in a division where the Rangers are good every year. The Athletics somehow find a way to win. Rangers, Seattle. by the way, equally impressive to Atlanta with the amount of injuries they've had. That's a team that's overachieved against oh, all odds. Absolutely. So far. And I was going to say Seattle, I mean, with Cano and their young pitchers are may not show as much this year per se, but in the future they should be much improved. It's going to be it's a tough It's road. a tough division. It's, it's like the Rays. It's like, you know, somebody like David Price or Longoria on the Rays. It's like, well, you know, we've kind of hit maximum mass here, so what do you do? But uh, it'll be interesting in – I don't know. He's got seven more years on the contract, so I have 13, 15 years to see what Pujols does. When yeah, it's a good question. It's definitely a good question. Uh, with that conversation, I think uh, one last piece of housekeeping here. Congratulations to Scranton Wilkes Bear Rail Riders manager Dave Miley, who on Wednesday afternoon before we taped this became the winningest manager in franchise history as the Rail Riders beat, I did not uh, know that. They you did. were pointing at me kind of when you first <clears throat> said congratulations. I was very <laughs> curious to see what you were congratulating me for because I've done nothing worthy of a congratulation. They beat uh, they beat Toronto's AAA team uh, to give Miley that record, so congratulations to him. 
I'm on a minor league kick after being in Lakewood yesterday, so congratulations there. But with that, that is going to do it for this edition of the Yes Men. Uh, reminder, if you haven't, subscribe to us on iTunes, rate and review us. Be sure to check out the Chris Sheeran Show, which also should be up today as uh, Doug and Chris Sheeran talk about uh, some of the more controversial topics in baseball. They go in-depth more in the Pirates-Brewers brawl uh, as well as some Chris other things. Chris gets fired up. He does get fired up, and that's what makes for good – Radio, television, podcast, whatever you want to call it. And us. all he does is promote us on his show So right. over at the Yes Men. So <clears throat> yep. we do the same. Go uh, subscribe to his podcast as well. Yep. So that should give you uh, a good hour or so of podcast listening pleasure for your day. And that's going to bring it to a wrap for this week. For Doug, I'm Lou. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.